um, they're real people on the other, excuse me, on the other end of this disease. You guys have the knowledge of the brain power that I don't have that can uh, make these solutions, these cures possible. Uh, you're affecting real people. Go forth and make sure that your diligence cures the people. Rare disease treatment is a growing area of focus for drug developers, but currently only 10% of these conditions have an available treatment approved by the FDA. Patients with these diseases often have cognitive or physical impairments that limit their mobility, and in turn, their ability to participate in clinical trials. And of the 7,000 known rare diseases in the world, 80% are genetic, meaning for a subset of these patients, their conditions run in family. For those who have witnessed grandparents and parents struggle with the disease and who have children with the same condition, participation in a clinical trial may be the key to not only alleviating their suffering, but that of their loved ones as well. I'm Todd Poli, and in this episode of Vital Science, we speak with Cure Rare Disease board member, Greg Claussen. Greg talks with us about his struggles with spinocerebellar ataxia, type 3, or SCA3, a rare inherited form of ataxia. We hear from Greg on how the disease has impacted his family, including his son, Jeff, and the novel ASO treatment that has sparked optimism for the future of SCA3. Welcome, Greg. We're honored to have you on Vital Science today. Thank you. It's an honor to be here, and I'm looking forward to the interview. So, Greg, both you and your son, Jeff, are living with a rare disease known as spinocerebular ataxia type 3, or SCA3. When did you and Jeff first receive this diagnosis? Well, for me, I saw my uh, great-grandmother, my grandfather, walking with a cane, and then I saw my father uh, stumbling around. I can remember him walking down uh, on a pier with my grandson, with his grandson, my son, and thinking, oh my goodness, I hope they stay on the pier. Um, and then uh, years later, um, when I was uh, training for a marathon, actually, I was stumbling and I couldn't uh, figure that out. And so for me, the diagnosis or the finding out of SCA3 was a very slow and natural process that I, um, it was 2005 when I could, I mean, in my own mind said, man, I must have this disease because I'm stumbling so much. I will say that Jeff's story is more dramatic. Um, I'll leave it for him to tell that story. How old were you in 2003? I was, so let's see, about 40, 40 some years old. And to have this run in your family with your grandfather, your father, yourself, 
and your son all affected by this disease. How has this impacted your role as a patient advocate? Wow, good question. Um, to me, I, uh, I mean, my son is asymptomatic. He has done the DNA testing and uh, seen that. My sister has the disease as well. And um, to me, I mean, they are both asymptomatic, my son and sister. And if my um, experience somehow can be used so that they never have to experience these symptoms, of uh, that would that's how it's affected me. I mean, I've just gone into hyperdrive in terms of reaching out. Um, and in uh, making research possible. I'd love to dive into that a little bit. I know you work closely with Cure Rare Disease, and, and we've uh, spoken about that organization in our podcast before. Um, I understand you're passionately leading the way toward a cure for SCA3 uh, for your family and for the world, for everyone, actually. Can you tell us about your role within that organization, Cure Rare Disease? Yeah, so I'm uh, both on the board of directors for Cure Rare Disease as well as the SCA3 uh, guinea pig. Um, the current uh, plans are to do an ASO injection uh, in 2024, and I am uh, just trying to stabilize my uh, current position because, again, ASO will just stop the disease. It doesn't uh, 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 change my symptoms or uh, reverse my symptoms. But hopefully my family can benefit from, uh, from that the experience there in the uh, um, giving... But, Anyway, I'll leave it at that. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I appreciate that. I I was also wondering, do you see these efforts toward pioneering a cure for SCA3? Uh, does it link up with any other rare diseases or is it really? Oh, it is uh, very similar to Huntington's disease in that there is a what they call in the industry uh, a CAG repeat that uh, I'm sure all the uh, Charles River folks will know about, uh, vital science will know about, uh, that uh, when that repeat increases it, uh, it uh, in my case, it uh, impacts the cerebellum, but this same disease process is present for Huntington's disease. Uh, I think Parkinson's disease and so many other uh, genetic diseases, um, I do hope that uh, what they find in SCA3 will help those diseases as well. So I, I understand that it's a rare inherited form of ataxia that affects the central nervous system and was hoping you could tell us a little bit more about the characteristics and the symptoms 
of uh, the disease so that we can understand it a little bit more. Yeah, so SCA3 affects the cerebellum, um, and the cerebellum is the coordinator of all your uh, your functions, your your visual system, your uh, vestibular system, and it comes together and controls gait and uh, um, fine motor skills. Speech, as you can tell, my speech is uh, is somewhat distorted from the disease, as well as swallowing and a whole bunch of other things like that. In addition, it it affects your mood and your mood swings. One of the things that is uh, most um, traumatic about um, this disease is the uh, the mood swings and the effects that that has on your family. In my case, um, splintering my family uh, because I am, uh, I mean, it's hard to live with a guy that has SCA3. Um, I can be happy and then, as my son says, you know, I can come in a room and just kill the mood of a room by mm. uh, my, my, um, my my mood all because of this uh, crazy SCA3 disease. Wow, that has to be challenging. And uh, you mentioned that Jeff is asymptomatic. What is the probability that things will stay like, like that for him? Um. I mean, almost zero percent. He will. He's just doing everything he can to uh, to prevent this because this disease is not something you want to fool around with. I mean, it is very uh, in messes with your head, and uh, it does so many. I mean, the cerebellum is so important in controlling your mood, your swallowing, your gait, your, I mean, typing on a uh, keyboard is uh, is very much cerebellar, I mean, and all that. And so he's just doing what he can to uh, to keep the symptoms at bay. I mean, he fights this disease by fasting, um, by uh, incredibly, uh, I mean, he does no sugar in his diet and no processed food, but he will, um, he will have symptoms eventually unless there is a cure. There are less than 50,000 people in the U.S. living with SCA3. So far, scientists have discovered 40 different types of SCA. All types have similar causes and symptoms, with SCA3, also known as Machado-Joseph disease, being the most common. Caused by an inherited gene mutation, some types occur because a segment of DNA abnormally repeats several times. It is typically diagnosed when a patient begins exhibiting symptoms. These may include problems stumbling and other problems with balance and coordination, involuntary eye movement, slurred speech, and learning disabilities. Most SCA types can be confirmed through genetic testing. 
Let's hear more from Gina and Greg on when misdiagnosis is likely to occur. You mentioned SCA and Huntington's can have similar symptoms and are caused by the same DNA patterns. Is misdiagnosis common? It does happen. There are a whole bunch of uh, people um, that do not know their Scott type or SCA3 type, or even that it's SCA3. There's something called the Friedrich's ataxia um, that they don't, it's not genetic that they found. Um, there, as long as, I mean, there is no treatment, so misdiagnosis um, doesn't carry with the burden of uh, not getting your uh, treatments. But I'm sure there are other people that, I mean, they just look at you and think that you're drunk or uh, somehow out of it um, if you aren't, if you don't know you have the disease and it's, and the mood swings, it's like you don't know where that's coming from, so diagnosis helps. So in what ways is the rare disease community helping to build awareness and help people become more informed about this condition? Uh, yeah, so uh, you might be aware that um, the NFL just added the word ataxia to their concussion protocol uh, because of the Miami quarterback who got up and stumbled around. Uh, that is not hereditary ataxia, but nevertheless, the world was introduced to the term ataxia, um, which I thought was good. Um, the uh, cure rare disease is uh, constantly um, doing um, videos and other kinds of uh, social media to make people aware. There's a foundation called the Attack or a National Taxi Foundation that does a good job in uh, in letting other people know. Um, what a taxi is, and there are uh, some celebrities, I understand, that have come down with this rare disease that are uh, um, making, I mean, using their uh, um, status or their well, their, uh, yeah, their status to let people know that this is a disease that needs treatment. And as I think we all know, it's costly and uh, lengthy to develop treatments. And um, sometimes that can create a barrier to access for people to get access. How can we make therapies like this as they um, become developed and become available, more accessible to patients who need them? Let's not let Treatment for the masses stop us from finding a treatment. Uh, let's find the treatment and uh, and then worry about making it accessible. Um, Great point. That's my thoughts. <laughs> so I know you and your family are working with Cure Rare Disease to raise funds and develop a treatment. How is this collaboration working and... Um, how do you think it will help to expedite development of a treatment? 
Yeah, so um, as you and your community know, um, the medical science uh, community is a vast community. There is no way that I alone could navigate the scientists, the the doctors and other researchers that administer um, the thing, the FDA, all the testing that goes into that CRD is critical in bringing all those components together and the collaboration needed to make a disease um, a cure possible. It sounds like a really powerful partnership, collaboration going on. Um, You mentioned um, antisense oligonucleotide or ASO as a potential therapy or or treatment in 2024 that you're looking toward. And um, can you tell us a little bit about that, that specific approach and and what's involved in that? Yeah. So um, ASO, as your community will undoubtedly know, uh, targets um, the RNA, um, which uh, in time, um, it's not like targeting the DNA, which once you target is good for a lifetime. The RNA um, regenerates itself over time. So the ASO targets um, the RNA, but it is still considered a gene therapy because it cures the disease. The ASO targets the RNA, which generates the protein um, that in my case uh, is toxic to the cerebellum. So by uh, changing my DNA, I don't, uh, the theory is that I won't generate this toxic uh, protein. So that's on the technical side. Cure Rare Disease is in the midst of preclinical testing for its SCA3 ASO therapy. Because ASOs are a novel technology, they require some unique considerations in the preclinical phase. For example, one point that could be unique to an ASO is that time in blood can be relatively brief hours to a few days, whereas the effects in cells can be long-lasting, days to weeks or even months. This is one reason tissue analysis is often included in ASO programs. Example tissues include liver, kidney, spleen, lungs, and heart, as these tissues are known to accumulate ASOs or are often noted in toxicology studies. This data can provide further information on the potential effects in patients. Let's hear from Greg on what participation in this clinical trial could mean for him, his family, and the future of SCA3. It must be very exciting to see the progress being made in developing this ASO treatment. What would finding a cure to SCA3 mean for you personally? For me, a cure is, um, well, stop SCA3 and it's cracks, but um, leave me um, with my speech the way it is, my swallowing, which I choke on, and my mood um, fluctuations. But for my children and all those that are are not yet symptomatic, 
I mean, this could be the cure that, excuse me, um, it's, I mean, they may never have to experience the symptoms that I have, and that would just be so wonderful if my life somehow could be used in a way to uh, to stop this disease from the family ravaging uh, mood swings, the um, uh, the gait issues, um, that would be what a cure looks like. I mean, that, that to me is the future. It's not me. It's for my children and all those that are asymptomatic. I'm sorry. All those that are asymptomatic. Certainly brings meaning to the work that we do every day in our jobs as being part of the research community and stories like yours and the the passion that you are putting toward this and um, you know the emotion that you're feeling now it really does motivate us every day to work harder and do better so thank you so much for sharing and being so honest um, to me you're putting forth an incredible legacy where not only your family but the whole community um, and you're brave to to share this and to you know motivate us all. So thank you for that. What more would you like to share? What is there anything else from your perspective that you think is important for us to know in the research community about the disease, your experience, anything else about the development process of bringing a cure forward? Um. There are real people on the other, excuse me, on the other end of this disease. You guys have the knowledge of the brain power that I don't have that can uh, make these solutions, these cures possible. Uh, you're affecting real people. Go forth and make sure that your diligence cures people. Thank you so much, Greg, for being here today on Vital Science. It was a pleasure speaking with you. Gina, thank you for the interview. Um, you did a fine job asking questions. Thank you so much. Greg Clausen is a board member at Cure Rare Disease. Looking ahead to our July episode of Vital Science, we'll speak with one of our in-house regulatory experts on the recently passed FDA Modernization Act and its implications on preclinical testing. Did you know that Charles River has a sister podcast, Eureka's Sounds of Science? This monthly podcast shares scientific, patient, and advocacy perspectives on trending issues in the drug development industry. You can subscribe to Vital Science and Sounds of Science on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Until then, thanks for listening.